Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore. From magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Come on, man. I love it when we start with the brown line. Well, I better shut the window. Hold on one second. Oh, my goodness. Come on. Shut that window. Uh, You know what? I'll have one of my many uh, office uh, interns and editorial assistants. Hey, could you guys shut that window? Huh? Got to shut it. Okay, hold on. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah. There we go. Had someone in the, you know, we have a huge staff here at the Ben Jarowski Show. Thousands. I know. I need someone to come over to my place. I need some uh, some audio help. Come on now. Quit hogging the help. <laughs> Hold on. Hey, help. I would like uh, a cheese sandwich with a little cheese mustard Cheese sandwich. On it. Okay. Okay. A little guac. Hey, don't forget the avocado, all right? Sorry, Dave. What were you saying? Let's get today's show going. And yes, you do have a song of the day request. Me, me, mama. Go. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, September 11th. It's just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank these unions for sponsoring our podcast. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, their sponsors, as well as... You doing good? Got everything ready? Just call pre-show prep day, pre-show prep, all right? We can... And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. We'd like to give a congratulations to live stream chatter, Radio Doogie. He was first on the live stream chat, and he gets his song of the day request granted. Oh, no. That's why I know it. The pressure's on. The heat is up. No, 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 no. The live live streamers get it. They know you don't really know uh, much current music, so they got your back here. being 1979. Uh, Go ahead. Ben, your your Friday song of the day, and make it good. It's Friday. (laughs) I'll be around by the spinners. I'll be around. Gee, 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 gee. I'll be, I love the spinners around. 
Oh, and hey, pre-show prep. Just want to make sure. It's Romana today, right? Yeah. Oh, bro. 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 Sharing bro. the fourth wall. Come on, bro. Oh, yeah, bro. Bro. Bro, could you get here early? Because I leave early, okay? Bro. Just wanted to Sorry, make sure. Real indoor. That's real base indoor. What is it? Indoor baseball? Inside baseball? Inside baseball with uh, Dr. D. Yes, Romana. Romana Hussein. Just wanted to make sure before this. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Friday, September 11th, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Bill Barr Love Steak Friday. And here's why. Billy Barr came to Chicago the other day. Billy Barr, of course, is the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr. One of the most powerful people in America, chief law enforcement officer, President Donnie Trump's key aide and advisor, and the point man on the president's crusade against wishy-washy liberals and for law and order. Only one problem. Bars for law and order in every case except the case of President Trump. No collusion. At which, <laughs> at which point Barr, much like Trump, is for no law and no order. You want an example? All right, D. I'll give you an example. Oh, thanks. I was about to ask. Can I get an example? Yes. Thank you. It's, I got an example coming right up. President Trump's been accused of rape. We all know that. I've talked about it many times. E. Jean Carroll, noted writer, said Trump raped her in a fitting room of the New York City department store back in the 90s. Trump has denied it. He said he never met her. Furthermore, he said she's not his type, which sort of suggests that he might have raped her had she been his type. Just saying. E. Jean Carroll filed a defamation lawsuit against Trump after he made those denials. Trump sent a bunch of lawyers, which he's paying for, probably out of his campaign funds, into court to delay, delay, delay in the hopes the judge would throw the case out or hold it off until after the election. So far, not going so well for uh, Donnie Trump in that lawsuit. Meanwhile, his defense bills for all his many, many, many lawsuits that have been filed against him are rising. At the very point, his campaign funds are dwindling because he wasted so much of it in the early going of the campaign. As he heads into the down the stretch toward November's elections against Grant's pot, can't even say this. As he heads toward the down stretch uh, for November's election against Grandpa Joe, there's a possibility that he may run out of funds. We can only hope. So it's not looking good for him. E. Jean Carroll has him on the ropes. She claims that there's a substance on a dress she wore at the time she was raped. Says that Donald Trump should provide sample of his DNA to prove that the substance does not come from him. Now, you figure, as I've said many times, Trump would provide the substance, would, excuse me, provide the DNA to clear his name. But obviously, he must think that the substance really is his, because he hasn't provided the DNA, and he's really in a jam, at which point William Barr, Attorney General, rides to Trump's rescue, 
He orders his Justice Department to take over the defense on the grounds that Trump made his comments denying he knew E. Jean Carroll when he was president, even though Trump was talking about an alleged rape that took place before he was president. Tough luck. We're defending him anyway. So just like that, Trump's off the hook for paying for his defense. And just like that, we, the taxpayers, are picking up the tab, meaning less money from his campaign fund to defend against Eugene Carroll and more money in his campaign fund to finance his campaign, meaning you, the taxpayers, are sort of financing Trump's campaign and his defense against a rape charge. Anyway, this was all in my mind this morning as I opened up my Chicago Tribune and saw the following headline. Barr says federal graft hunters feast in Chicago. Turns out Bill Barr was in Chicago and he gave an exclusive interview to my old friend, Johnny Cass. No, 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 Dennis and all you millennials out there. That's Cass, not Cash. The right wing MAGA hat wearing columnist for the Tribune. Not the greatest country singer of all time, Johnny Cash. All right. Anyway, when I saw the headline, I said, yes. Finally, some tough questions for Bill Barr. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, listeners, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Ben, John Cass is just a MAGA hat wearing lover of Donald Trump. He's been brainwashed long ago. He will not ask any tough questions. I'm thinking, oh, no. John Cass upholds a great tradition and bulldog reporters from the city of Chicago. Yes, he wears the MAGA hat. And yes, he wears the MAGA hat with pride. But before that... He's a Chicago journalist. I've seen him at, at work, D. He's relentless in his pursuit of truth, especially when he goes after Democrats like Michael Joseph Madigan and Kim Fox. Oh, my God. He grilled Kim Fox on Smollett Gate. So I figure he's going to go after Barr just like he went after Kim Fox. He's going to ask Barr, hey, Barr, how can you justify spending public money defending an alleged rapist? He's going to say, hey, Barr, how come Donnie doesn't turn over the DNA if he has oh. nothing to hide? Hit the table, Ben. Say, Hit the table. Hit the table. Hey, Barr. Say, hey, Barr. Isn't rape wrong? Aren't you disgusted to work with and defend a man accused of rape? You watch, folks. John Cass is no lapdog. He's a watchdog. He's going to ask the tough questions. So I eagerly turn to the column. Hold on, D. I'm turning to the column right now. And now I'll hit the table. I turn yeah. to the column. Yeah, there we go. All right, here we go. I see the column. I may be the only man in Chicago who still subscribes to the Chicago Tribune. You're welcome, John Cass. I'm subsidizing your salary. So I'm like, all right, let's go. I usually turn to the column and I read, hmm, Barr and Cass talking about Michael Madigan and how bad Michael Madigan is. All right, okay. I read on, Barr and Cass talking about liberal pro prosecutors and how bad liberal prosecutors are. All right. Barr and Cass talking about one of their favorite movies. Um, okay, guys, what's the point of this? I read on, Barr and Cass talking more about democratic corruption. <laughs> I'm like three quarters of the way into this column and not one tough question, just softballs all the way. But wait, there's still one paragraph left. I know Johnny Cass is going to ask the tough question about the rape allegation against Donald Trump. So I read the final paragraph. I will now share the final paragraph with you. From my beloved Tribune, home delivered every day. Oh, the suspense is killing me. Come on, man. Come on, bring it. 
Here's Bill Barr as interviewed by John Cass. Quote, when I was AG before, I spent a lot of time in Chicago. I like going to the chop house up to the second floor, drinking all night and eating my steaks. Chicago has great food and the city was very clean, meticulously clean. I like the people, their directness. They were friendly, big personality type people. So I like Chicago, but things now seem very much out of control. I'm like, steak? You talked about steak? You had the Attorney General of the United States right there? You could have asked him anything. You could have asked him about spending public dollars defending Donnie Trump against a rape charge, and you talked about steak? Oh, Johnny Cass, Johnny Cass, say it ain't so. The MAGA hat-wearing Madigan watchdog has become a MAGA lapdog. Another legend shot to dust. We got a great yeah. show today. <laughs> Two table hits, baby. Uh, hold on. I got it wrong, Dave. What? It's not really a lapdog. He's more like a little kitty cat. Purr, purr, as Bill Barr strokes him. Purr. Hey, let that cat out of the bag, would you? <laughs> we need the back noise. Yip, 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 yip. Oh, Johnny, I'm so disappointed. Anyway, we got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here. I'm going to tell you something right now, D. Ramana Hussein is old school. If she were interviewing Barr, she wouldn't be asking about his favorite steakhouses. Oh, no. Be some tough questions from Ramana Hussein. Still has some standards in Chicago journalism. Anyway, Ramon Hussein will be here. We'll be talking a lot of good stuff with Ramon. Including, uh, she's gonna, she has a few things to say about Paul Krugman. We'll get all to that. Ramon Hussein will be here with a lot of political talk. Before we do that, the young man from Alton. The man that William Barr proudly calls... <laughs> Dr. Steaklover, <laughs> Dennis, the man they call Dennis with the news. The funniest thing about that bar quote, uh, I eat my steaks, plural. You can just have one steak. How's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon for the fourth and final time this week, we need to discuss this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Ben Jarofsky, what do we have lined up for this weekend? Well, we're going to do a lot of talk about uh, the social equity, and I have that in quotes. Uh, <laughs> a cannabis license, Vincent Norman will be on talking about that. And um, I'm really looking for, we haven't done that interview, I'm really looking forward to taking the deep dive in that one, D, because I'm going to tell you something right now. That is an outrage. Every day, it seems like another outrage emerges uh, in the newspaper. Tommy Schuba wrote a great story in today's bright one uh, about how uh, some company that's a gazillion dollar uh, company uh, that uh, owns a, a huge pot operation is now in the running to get a social equity license. I don't know how the state could have dropped the ball on this one. So we're going to have a, a deep conversation with Vincent Norman about that. Uh, Richard Steele, our old friend. 
will be returning to the studio. Yes. Uh, and I uh, love Richard Steele. He was a legend at WBEZ. I know a lot of you listeners know him from the WBEZ days, but uh, his uh, roots in radio go back to uh, WVON. He was a jazz DJ. The guy knows a lot about jazz. So we'll be talking about politics and culture, all kinds of good things with the great Richard Steele. And then Sunday, a mystery show mystery show and that's we were going to turn to the live stream audience on that one uh guys if you have any suggestions of uh one of our interviews that you may not have heard uh we're looking for another interview to play here uh to post on both chicago sun times and chicago reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts if there's any interviews uh, you have to suggest uh, maybe our recent interview with troy laravier would be a good one to replay good one that's a good one right? good oh that's right? that's good that's a very very good interview with the mm-hmm. one the only troy we, we, we may just end up playing that one anyway, but if you have any suggestions of what interview we should play uh, for our Sunday download, please reach out on the live stream chat, or you may have some time before Sunday. Send us an email, Show at gmail.com. Vincent Normant talking cannabis, Richard Steele. I'm glad we got Richard Steele back on the program. The uh, Google Meet debut of Richard Steele, by the way. Yes. I'm sure he's going to handle that really well. Some of our guests struggle a bit with Google Meet. Uh, <laughs> Doogie, we're not doing a Darren Bailey interview. We never, we, oh, ne- we never. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me call DB. We, <laughs> I would love to interview DB. Come on, DB. They'll be Come avail- on, enjoy my convoy. They'll be available at 5 a.m. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites. And however else you listen to the show, minus the YouTube live stream, go download it, guys. All right, local news. Let's do it. We begin with a follow-up. Yesterday, during our first 2020 Illinois general election candidate update of the season, we played a political campaign ad from Sean Kasten. He's the Democratic congressman of the 6th Congressional District running for re-election against... I'm Jeannie Ives. Want to know why I'm running for Congress? Walk a mile in my shoes. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh boy, 2018 Republican gubernatorial primary candidate who nearly beat Bruce Rauner, Jeannie Ives. We played her 60-second campaign ad as well, but it was Kasten's two simple 15-second ads that got the headlines. Because in the ad, former Illinois Republican chairman Pat Brady endorsed the Democrat Sean Kasten. I'm Pat Brady, a lifelong Republican, but I can't support Jeannie Ives for Congress. Ives makes Trump look reasonable. She's attacked same-sex families, even questioned the science behind climate change and the coronavirus. Ives is on the wrong side of history. Ben, I called it. This sixth congressional district race is looking to be the most entertaining. Team Genie Ives has responded. It's time for our second 2020 (laughs) Illinois general election candidate update. This is a 2020 <laughs> Illinois general election candidate update. That's hot, baby. Oh, I love that, man. I'll tell you what. What? I just can I just give a shout out to our uh, crack production team of staffers who work really hard. Uh, dozens and dozens of you. You, you rarely get named. Uh, hard. I don't believe you've ever been named. Given the credit, I'll, I'll just list the, some of the names: Joe, Jack, Johnny, oh, okay. uh, Teresa, Edgar, Mary, Sue, uh, Vilma, uh, Billy, Bob. Vilma, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I have a ninety-year-old woman working for me. Vilma, Sarah, Sue. Uh, am I think, forgetting anyone? Uh, 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 Craig, Donnie, Joe, uh, Peter, Larry, Curly, Mo. Uh, I just want to. Th- 
Our production staff is second to none. Our pro- so, Dave, I just had to give a shout out. That, that's just like the troops. And, and, and around the office, the staff calls Dennis the general. Yeah. General Dennis. And he dispatches orders to that vast crew. And then we have the newsroom. We haven't brought the newsroom back in a while. Oh, maybe. yeah, yeah, those jerks. <laughs> so, I thought we had the newsroom back, and they just bailed out again. I don't know. They'll be back. Anyway, it's I, getting cold outside. They'll be back. They'll be back. <laughs> no, the, it won't be warm enough to live in the park, so they'll come back. Anyway, I just want to thank our production team. You guys do a great job, and you really do a great job. So, anyway, just want to give that shout-out to our production team under the command of General Dennis. Way to go, production team. Uh, with his across-the-aisle endorsement from Republican Pat Brady, Sean Caston, in fact, had the better ad. Caston said in a statement that he was, quote, honored to receive the Brady endorsement. Caston said, quote, I believe that public officials should always lead with their values. Jeannie Ives has made it clear that her values don't represent the 6th District, and Pat Brady has made it clear that her values don't represent the Republican Party. And another quick update. So, uh, still no new ads from Jeannie Ives calling Kasten a hippie, all right? But don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure they're on their way, guys. Do not worry about that. But Kasten's uh, Brady ad was enough to get the Jeannie Ives allies out of their seats. Oh, well, I've never. They were upset. Huh? <laughs> Republican Chairman Tim Schneider, National Committeeman Richard Porter, and National Committeewoman Demetra DeMonte, they came to Ives' defense in a joint statement that contended, quote, identifying and labeling Pat Brady as a Republican is false and misleading. Uh, The statement here is, quote, Pat Brady is a liberal Democrat and has been for some time. Whoa, man, that's really bending the word liberal Democrat. Go on. Sean Caston may have the backing of political hacks, but Jeannie Ives is supported by hardworking taxpayers. Oh, my goodness. Well, by the way, let's give a shout out to Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Uh, He's the one who dug up these quotes as the GOP fires back after former state chair Brady backs cast. And uh, that's the headline in Tribune. So a good job, Rick Pearson, uh, gathering these quotes uh, from the various miscreants in the Republican. I mean, the various uh, leaders of the Republican Party. And this is where we begin to see Jeannie Ives circa 2018. (laughs) This is the Jeannie Ives we know and love. Go ahead. Ives then went to Twitter to give her thoughts on the matter. She's hitting back, Benny J. Ives (laughs) on Twitter said, lobbyist stumping for lobbyist. Our response? Of course, Pat Brady endorsed Sean Caston. Amoral, ruling class political hacks stick together. <laughs> yeah, I'm just laughing because, as we discussed yesterday, uh, Jeannie Ives uh, is the far, and I mean far, far right wing Republican former state rep who ran against Bruce Rauner. Outraged, outraged <laughs> that Bruce Rauner was uh, keeping his commitment uh, to preserve reproductive rights. We talked about that yesterday, the flip-flopping of Bruce Rauner. Finally, uh, Terry Cosgrove and Personal Pack and all the other abortion rights activists in the states forced them to take a stand uh, uh, in favor of abortion rights. Jeannie Ives so outraged, she ran against him and uh, really just was wailing away at him. She was like Joe Frazier coming strong. <laughs> Well, oh, that was Jeannie Ives 2018. Now she's running in a district uh, that's tilting Democrat. 
that went, I believe, for Hillary Clinton in uh, 2016 that Sean Caston won uh, last time around. So she's attempting to unveil a new Genie Ives, a fun and perky Genie Ives. That I'm was Genie the Ives. Want to know why I'm running for Congress? Yeah. I walk a mile in my shoes. Oh, okay. <laughs> that genie i hey hey i'm just everybody likes me i'm really nice and then so brady comes out brady comes out for cast and then what right right away right back to the old genie are you okay <laughs> that's like a, a, a like a tiger clawing i got these sound effects d i'm like whoa i know you don't even you don't need me anymore Never say that. I, always, I who is going to be the general that leads that production crew? Okay? Oh yeah, Vilma in the game. <laughs> Hold on, Vilma, just calm down. All right, you'll get a raise next month. Since you left the uh, attic, they've all moved in. There's like twenty of them over there in the corner. So uh, yeah, that's the old Genie Ives. Yeah, all the pretense is off. Yeah, she's coming back at you hard. <laughs> And, uh, man, I wish Jeannie Ives had been questioning William Barr instead of Cass. She wouldn't have been asking about his favorite steak, D. Oh, no. She'd have been asking why he is defending a rapist. Oh, wait a minute. She's a MAGA hat wearer herself. Forget that. They're only tough on Democrats. Sorry I even mentioned it. So yeah. my, funny, my funniest thing is that they're trying to uh, portray Pat Brady as a liberal Democrat. What a joke. There's no there's absolutely no meaning left to any of the verbiage that the Republicans throw around. Go ahead. D, I cut you off. Pat Brady's just a hippie. Don't listen to him. All right. <laughs> and believe it or not, old Patty B put on the gloves and threw a few jabs back at Ives. Here's the quote from Brady. I'm still a Republican. But I can't embrace the Ives extreme agenda, which does not, in my opinion, represent the 6th Congressional District. He said Ives, quote, rabid response to his decision to back Kasten and her past controversial history were reasons why she is temperamentally ill, equipped for public office. Mm, wow. Yeah, no, uh, they're really getting angry. It's a oh. uh, listen as a, uh, a voter who votes Democrat. Uh, in almost every instance, except for occasionally when I vote green. I love it. Go at it. Yeah, Republicans fighting each other. Uh, it's always great. But uh, no, I listen, D, we were laughing yesterday. Genie Ives attempt to, you know, the new perky Genie Ives, the new I love everybody Genie Ives. I miss the old Genie Ives. I want the, the far right wing extremist who wears the MAGA hat proud and put the Trump sign on her lawn, Genie Ives. That Genie Ives. Let the whole world know where she stands. So she's. With that counterattack against Brady, we're seeing a little bit of the old, the real genie Ives, I would say. So once again, a big kick out of that. Once again, it's the sixth congressional district race between challenger genie Ives and Democratic incumbent Sean Caston. And that was your 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. I'm Jeannie Ives. Want to know why I'm running for Congress? Walk a mile in my shoes. This is a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. <laughs> Thanks, Vilma. Uh, Up top. <laughs> Wait, is now Vilma in your? She, she, oh, yeah, she left. She went over to your apartment. 
Bill is a hard worker, man. You saw her on my video screen and you got confused. You thought she was at your place. That's what. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's been known to happen. Yeah. All right. Next up, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. I'd love to win a Grammy. I just love that clip. <laughs> Figure we play it one more time. It's Friday. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, God. The 2018 gubernatorial race. That was a commercial from 2018. That's that's the one where uh, if I could just pause for a moment to recollect my favorite commercial of 2018, where it's like they're, they're pretending is this completely, totally staged interview with J.B. Pritzker is somehow or other spontaneous event as he's walking down the street and some random. I think it was uh, one of his campaign aides is, wait, hold on, J.B., what's your favorite song? <laughs> I love the Eagles. What's your goal in life? I'd love to win a Grammy. Anyway, great, great. Really humanized him, D, and that's part of the reason he was uh, elected governor. Today, today, the governor was at CARA, Chicago's nonprofit headquarters at 11 a.m. to announce investments to expand job opportunities for those who have become unemployed due to COVID-19. And not much else happening with the governor today. So... About that big GOP Madigan Gate hearing on Thursday. For those who didn't know, our politician friends in Illinois of the conservative uh, persuasion, they did some homework. Three of them invoked the House rule for disciplinary proceedings to investigate the time utility giants Commonwealth Edison admitted to arranging jobs, arranging contracts, and arranging payments to allies and associates of Illinois House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan (laughs) with a special bipartisan legislative panel. So this happened on Thursday and shout out to Illinois Politico and Shia Kapos. She did a uh, sensational job of detailing this hearing out. Go check out the details. Illinois Politico, subscribe. Whether you agree or disagree with it politically, you still get Illinois news. So go subscribe to Illinois Politico. But this happened on Thursday, and two things became apparent to this old producer after reading about this hearing. Number one, (laughs) Mike Madigan was right. Not saying he's perfect. Seems a little greasy, but he was right. This is political theater. Scratch that. This is like boring high school political theater, Ben. (laughs) They never said Madigan's name once during the hearing. They referred to him as Public Official A, which sounds like a great title for a musical theater number. Public Official A. What would you like to say? What if it turns out he's not the guy? Oh, my God. What if it turns out that, uh, I don't know, William Barr is public official A or something? It's so bizarre that they won't name him. You know what I'm saying? The public official A, but they give these clues. They'll let you know it's Madigan. But what if when the clues were just misleading? Ha ha. And the attorney general goes, uh, the, you, the prosecuting attorney goes, ha ha, fooled you. Uh-uh, it's William Barr. Oh. So we're calling him public official A, and not only that, Madigan hasn't even been charged with anything. Mm. And then we'll add a capital Y-E-T to the end of that. He hasn't been charged with anything yet. So <laughs> They're looking. Illinois Republicans, what are we doing here? You're kind of looking like puds. Can't you just wait for Madigan Gate to unfold? Why all the nonsense, fellers? Wait, what's that? Oh, that's right. We have an election in 53 days, which brings me to the next thing that I realized. Number two. Boy, (laughs) is it ever more apparent that our former Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner carried insane amounts of water for these GOP bigwigs. Holy cow. The head of the panel, Democratic Representative Emanuel Chris Welch, as Shia Kapos put it, quote, carefully maneuvered the group to slow down the process, saying uh, what we knew all along, quote, we have very little precedent to go by. He delayed moving ahead with hearings until 
until first conferring with federal investigators. And that's basically what went down during Thursday's premature call out Madigan party. Yeah, well, it was uh, a show, as you you said, D, uh, and uh, it was the Republican Party's uh, vain attempt um, to keep alive the investigation in Madigan, to keep stories uh, generated uh, in the press, in the papers, uh, on TV, to remind people again uh, that Michael uh, Madigan has. Oh, how do I put this? Uh, many do connections uh, to Commonwealth Edison, we'll just put it that way, and uh, has a not altogether sterling past. How do I, I guess that's a very euphemistic way uh, to put this. Uh, you mentioned Bruce Rauner. Without Bruce Rauner, the Republicans are struggling in the state of Illinois. Say what you will about Bruce Rauner. <clears throat> And I could say many critical things about him, but he was the man who bankrolled the Republican Party, he bankrolled the Republican Party since about mm, 2014 or so. Uh, he and his good pal, Kenny Griffin, uh, Kenny G, were bankrolling uh, the Republican Party. And as such, uh, eventually their chief strategy was to turn Michael Madigan into the boogeyman and to uh, make him sort of the public image of everything that's wrong with uh, Democratic politics in the state of Illinois. Uh, the second person who's that the re- Republicans are trying to turn into a villain, of course, is Kim Fox, Cook County State's attorney. So Michael Madigan is supposed to represent what the the, uh, the clout of Democrats, how they abuse their power, uh, how they run a machine or a great Democratic machine. Uh, and. Uh, Kim Fox is supposed to represent their wishy-washiness uh, on law and order and how they're not protecting uh, ordinary human beings uh, from crime. Uh, and so this is this is the Republican strategy. This is the Republican attempt. This is what they're trying to do uh, to uh, demonize Michael Madigan and Kim Fox and abusing them, those uh, demonized caricatures of Madigan and Kim Fox, uh, and to turn that into a victory for them in the state. That's what they're doing. And it's what it's easier to do it when you have a billionaire like Bruce Rauner uh, and uh, Kenny G, Ken Griffin, financing endless amounts of campaign commercials uh, on the TV. Uh, but it's a lot harder to do, D, when you don't have a lot of money and they don't have a lot of money now that Rauner's gone. So this is it. They're having this show uh, in the state house. As you pointed out, uh, Michael Madigan has not been officially indicted. Uh, what? What has happened is that Commonwealth Edison, we've said this many times, has admitted that they put cronies of Madigan on the payroll. I think it's outrageous. I initially said that Michael Madigan should step down. I thought Michael Madigan should step down uh, after the sexual harassment uh, allegations emerged uh, about two years ago. I think that the Democratic Party is doing itself a disservice to connect itself to Michael Madigan. But having said that, having said that, here comes that flip flop. Uh Having said that. When I read John Cass's interview with William Barr, and when I see just like state exhibit A right out there for everyone to see, just the unwillingness, the inability of the Republicans in this state, including the Republicans in the media, to hold Trump accountable for anything, even in the matter of rape. When I see their unwillingness to hold Trump accountable for any of his lawlessness, then I can't believe a word of their outrage when it comes to Michael Madigan. And I feel like a sucker in a sap 
uh, to come out strongly against Michael Madigan. So there's why I did my famous flip-flop. There it is. Stay in office. But I have mixed feelings about this as soon as I say it, D, because I do believe that Michael Madigan's presence is going to hurt the fair tax initiative. And really, I really struggle with that because that's far more important uh, for the future of the state of Illinois to make sure that the the wealthiest people in the state uh, pay their fair share. By the way, can I give a shout out to the uh, Sun Times while I'm here? Can I give a shout out to the? You know, I made fun of their editorials, uh, some of their editorials. In fact, uh, I think uh, some of the my uh, ranting and raving against Sun Times editorials are contributed to the great song. Uh, editorial board, but they wrote a great uh, editorial yesterday about Kenny G, about the uh, billionaire, the richest man in the state of Illinois, who's going to kick $20 million into uh, defeating the fair tax initiative. So he's willing to spend $20 million up front to defeat the initiative, apparently because he knows it's going to save him a lot of money in the back end uh, by uh, defeating a, a defeating a, a movement to raise the highest to raise the rates on the highest earners the richest people in the state of illinois so the sun times called it like it is you put up 20 million now you save 20 million on the back end uh and you really undercut government because i don't know how we're going to fund all the things we want to pay for uh if we can't tax the wealthiest people at a higher rate so he's going to have the same rate applied to uh the kenny griffins of the world and the jb pritzkers of the world uh, I would say the Bruce Rauners of the world, but I believe Bruce Rauner has moved to Florida, D, right? Uh, I, I love Florida. <laughs> One of his nine homes. It still, it still has the condo here. Uh, I, by the way, Bruce, we'll be watching. Where are you going to vote? You going to vote Florida? You going to vote in Illinois? We're watching. You know, I'm doing this thing that uh, Robert De Niro did. Uh, what was that movie? I analyzed this. Uh, no, it was Meet the Parents. I am watching you. I am watching you. D, you can't see this, but I am watching you. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that's the that's the situation with the Republican Party uh, in the state of Illinois. Uh, they want to uh, turn Michael Madigan into their punching bag. They think that's the quickest way uh, they can defeat the fair tax. And I fear that they may be right. Yeah. I fear that they may be right, and that uh, Michael Madigan will. Uh, really undercut the Democrat effort uh, to pass the fair task. I hope I'm wrong because I believe the fair tax is needed, but I think that's uh, the reality is becoming apparent to me. And so that's why the Republicans are pushing so hard. So on one hand, I can't blame them. I mean, it's the easiest strategy they got. Yeah, It's pretty much all they got. Uh, so yeah, and it's gonna have it's funny they had like a mascot in uh, Bruce Rauner though as governor, you know, because here it is, we're right by an election, and uh oh, Madigan's bad, Madigan's bad, point at Madigan. Now you're kind of seeing like the GOP puppet masters that were behind uh, the whole Bruce Rauner thing, you know what I mean? Well, Bruce Rauner was funding them, that's for sure, uh, and now they're exposed. So anyway, uh, our Emmanuel Chris Welch, the pride and joy of Proviso West, uh, the western suburbs state rep, uh, he is the person uh, who is overseeing, he's chairing these hearings. I predicted all along he'll be our next uh, Speaker of the House. And he's, you know, he's walking a fine line here because he has to. Oh, he has to oversee the hearings, but Madigan is still a chair, or excuse me, there's still a speaker. So, you know, he he can't push too hard against Madigan. 
So he's in a delegate position too. Republicans love that. They got him in. They, they got him in the old squeeze box. But I got a feeling uh, Chris Welch will figure out how to navigate his way out of this. Yeah, get out of that old squeeze box, would you, Welch? All right, moving on. And hey, say what you will about Illinois and our absurdly corrupt political system. At least no one's rigged our recent cannabis legalization bill. You know what I mean, Ben? Uh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, at least that's pure, huh? At least we know that the social equity applicants are all going to get at the next licenses, right? The people that really deserve it, right, D? Like, black people have been screwed over. They're finally going to get access to it, right, D? We know that. Thank goodness the state of Illinois is so well run that the, the poor uh, and are going to get a little piece of the pie, right, D? Oh, yeah. Is that what you're going to tell me? Well, we have another recreational cannabis license story, and it once again comes from Sun-Times reefer beat writer Tommy Two Joint Shuba. (laughs) And in case you had not noticed, these stories really get Ben Jarofsky's goat every time. So let's talk about it here. The headline reads, pot shop licenses to promote social equity could go to firms tied to co-founder of $3 billion cannabis giant. Matt Estep, Estep, E-S-T-E-P, however you want to pronounce it, the former managing partner of Green Thumb Industry, runs an investment firm linked to two applicants hoping to win the right to open marijuana dispensaries in Illinois. Benny J, here's the ball. Well, we'll be talking about this with Vincent Norman. We talked about it uh, yesterday uh, with Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. Man, was she on fire uh, on this subject. We talked about it uh, with State Representative Sonia Harper. I can't talk about this enough. I, I, this, this, this just, I feel so deeply about this because this gets, this links so many different passions that I have uh, and uh, so many different crusades that I've waged down through the years. But to me, the legalization of cannabis, all right, I'm going to call it cannabis because everybody calls it cannabis. The legalization of cannabis was finally, 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 finally a moment in which the state of Illinois, it really should be the whole country, but at least the state of Illinois was going to confront the hypocrisy, the double standards uh, that exist in the way we enforce marijuana laws. Finally, if nothing else, people will no longer be thrown into jail for possessing a joint, possessing a nickel bag, having some reefer on them. Uh, This was standard operating procedure for so long. And it was black people. Let's call it for what it is. It was black people. And like I had this moment of revelation about 10 years ago, it took me a while to figure it out. But I'm just watching all the white people I know smoking reefer, doing it out in the open, talking about it. And Mick Dumpkin and I did a series of stories about all the black people from the South and the West Sides getting locked up for it. And we went to those courthouses, and I wish, I wish they had, I wish they had um, field trips to this courthouse so that people throughout the state could see for themselves the parade of young defendants going before a judge and listening to this this judge act like they're just so outraged that uh, these defendants would break the law and they would speaking to them in stern ways. This is the law. This is the law of the land. And then every single person in that courtroom would go back to their regular life, which probably included friends of them of theirs smoking marijuana if they didn't smoke it themselves. And the utter hypocrisy of it was too much to take. So finally, the state of Illinois makes marijuana legal, finally pats itself on the back for doing it. 
And then they set up uh, a system that's going to guarantee that social equity licenses go. Social equity, they can't say, people, lawyers have explained to me, you can't say give the license to black people, Ben, because you can't just dedicate the license to race. I'm just telling you what the lawyers tell me. So you have to come up with a social equity, uh, which leaves race out of uh, the definition, even though race is very much a part of what we're talking about here. And the law is so nebulous and so easy to exploit that wealthy white people who were not victimized in any way by the war on drugs, whose communities were not ravaged by the war on drugs, they're getting access to licenses that are supposed to be for people who come from communities that were hit hard or for people who themselves uh, were arrested unfairly for possessing marijuana. It's so freaking unfair. I'm like, every time I read another story about a so-called social equity license applicant who's just some rich white guy, D, I go, ah, head exploding. It's not pretty, guys. <laughs> it's like, come on, state of Illinois. Come on, Democrats. We're better than this. And D, I don't know if you're going to go into this story more. Are you going to go into this story more? It's all you, buddy. All right. The problem, it's so obvious. One of the problems, just there's many problems, is that you allow these companies to apply and they could shield their identities behind LLCs. So we don't even know who the applicants are. Now, I could bring on some people from the state. I'm sure they would give me some muckety muck, blah, 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 explanation of why we allow the applicants to shield their identity, but I don't think that's, I think we should know who the applicants are. These are, these are very valuable licenses that are being granted. I always thought everybody believed in transparency. That, I mean, everybody comes to my show, oh, and I believe in transparency. We must have, be, we must be transparent. We have to, we have to let everybody know what we're up to. Everybody believes in transparency. Dennis's favorite mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, ran as a Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You folks, you got to understand, I, I got Dennis on my screen just to make sure he's paying attention. I'm like, his favorite president, Donald Trump. And then he walks. That's fighting words, man. Uh, so, yeah, everybody believes in transparency. Mayor Rahm ran as the transparency mayor. And then he concealed the Laquan McDonald video. Oh, well, so much for the transparency, man. And J.B. Pritzker, somehow or other, this law got passed. He would say he's a transparency governor. Somehow this law got passed so they can hide behind the LLC. So you got Tommy Shuba doing all this digging. You got to read the Tommy Shuba. Let's give it. Can we give a shout out to young Thomas, Tom Shuba? Tommy, Great job. Tommy. And he, he's. <laughs> By the way, that's a joke. What's up, Tommy? Tom, Tom Shuba is as sober as what? what is the line? A judge? A judge? We're going to get into judges in a little while. You know, he doesn't smoke reefer. He doesn't drink. Only this is work. Every time I see me, Ben, I can't talk to you. I'm so busy. I got another story. The hardest working reporter in the city of Chicago, young Tom Shuba. Anyway, this story is a great story. What he had to do to uh, dig out the identity of uh, this gentleman who's a social equity applicant, even though he's 
linked to a country a company that's worth gazillions of dollars you know you got to look and see who the llc is and see who the llc is connected to and then see what their address is and see what lawyer they have represented come on state of illinois and you say a, a gazillion but it's just a billion come on all right, you're right. I'm sorry. I sit corrected. Oh, we must issue a correction. <laughs> it's only three uh, billion dollars. That's billion with a B, D. You know, and Jeanette Taylor, man. We had Alderman woman, Jeanette Taylor. Jeanette Taylor, I brought Jeanette Taylor. I asked Jeanette Taylor to come on the show. Alderman of the 20th Ward. Uh, and uh, a favorite of mine. Everybody knows I love Jeanette Taylor. And uh, very passionate uh, and unafraid to speak her mind. And so I said, uh, Alderwoman, uh, I would like you to talk about the Obama Center because she had just uh, consummated a deal representing the community, a community benefits agreement, one of the first of its kind, uh, protecting the neighborhood or trying to protect the neighborhood against uh, gentrification that will be sparked by the Obama Presidential Library. And so I said, you know, let's discuss it. And she said, okay, but I want to also talk about cannabis. I didn't even know she was going to say something about cannabis. And then she, she let it li- how ridiculous it is <laughs> that these firms uh, that are clearly not social equity firms are in the lottery to get a social equity license. Uh, so I urge everybody, by the way, Dia must take a brief tangent here. Oh, to talk that's about, new. Yeah. <laughs> I must address a, an issue that was raised to me. Uh, by one of our listeners this morning. Before uh, I was able to call you, D, I had several phone calls regarding the missing portion of the Jeanette Taylor tape, mm-hmm. the Jeanette Taylor interview. Uh, so, D, uh, do you have any objection as I uh, shatter the fourth wall one more time to talk about what happened? Uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Why not? All right, thank you. Whew. I was going to do it anyway. Um, anyway, so <laughs> we were interviewing Jeanette Taylor, older woman Jeanette Taylor, and uh, we were going, she was going strong. She's talked about the, the cannabis bill. And then I asked her about the National Guard because there was a, a vote in the city council about bringing the National Guard to Chicago. And about the time I asked her about the National Guard, something happened to the computer. <laughs> something happened to the computer. I don't know what happened, but suddenly there were, the computer just wasn't connected anymore. And the only person who can hear Jeanette Taylor Ooh. was me. Since 1922. So I was the only one who could hear Jeanette Taylor. And she was the only one who could hear me. And nobody else could hear us. So I know a uh, live stream audience, you're like, what the hell? What kind of cheap show is this? Man? Hey, no one said that. <laughs> they understood. They're, no, cool. they're, they're cool, man. But so I'm Jeanette and I are having this great conversation about the National Guard. And she's ripping the National Guard. And I'm like, yeah, give him hell, Jeanette. Meanwhile, my phone is like... I don't have the ringer on, but I, I figured out how to put the buzzer on. I feel like who's calling me in the middle of the show? And then that's the sound of text coming in. Yeah. For some reason, my computer was just done. It tapped out. Uh, it just stopped working. I, yeah. The so Dennis, audio wasn't Dennis going through my board. I can only hear it through the computer. No one else could hear it. Panic so, mode. Uh, many people, many, many people. Bill Barr, uh, one of them, accused me of intentionally 
shutting down the show because uh, the, I didn't want people to hear what Jeanette Taylor was saying. Actually, I just made all that up. Nobody accused me of that. But that would be that's a nice thing to throw out there, right? What happened to the the missing five minutes? Yeah, no one believed that Bill Barr said that. So you're good. <laughs> glad you explained yourself there, but. Bill Barr and John Cass, while enjoying a delicious steak uh, at their favorite steakhouse, were discussing what do you think they were talking about during that missing five minutes? Remind me of uh, Rosemary Woods. Now, this is a reference that absolutely nobody, with the exception probably of Frank, knows what I'm talking about. Uh, but Rosemary Woods was the secretary to President Nixon uh, during the Watergate. Well, she was the secretary all along. And there was a missing 18 minutes of tape. President Nixon taped all the conversations in the White House, but there was 18 minutes that were missing. And so Rosemary Woods took the hit for him. And she said she inadvertently uh, erased the tape uh, by leaning over and pushing the wrong paddle or something. I don't know. She had some cockamamie explanation. Nobody believed her, but she took the hit for him. So I'm trying to find someone who could take the hit for the missing five minutes. In fact, so Dennis has been very good. He's. <laughs> Where did those five minutes go? <laughs> Yeah, I can tell you one oh. thing. Jeanette Taylor, let, she's uh, not for the National Guard. Let's just boil it down to this. Not for the National Guard coming to Chicago. She had a lot of good reasons for it. Too. Yeah, a lot of people did enjoy our interview with Jeanette Taylor, minus the missing five minutes. Whoa. Uh, in fact, we got an email uh, in regards to our Jeanette Taylor interview. Uh, this message comes from Christopher. Christopher, what's up? He's in Westside in Austin. See, you leave your name and location and we'll read it. Uh, let's see here. Christopher writes, just finished uh, listening to the show featuring Jeanette Taylor. My inner Benny J. Oh, he's doing his inner Benny J voice here. And man, we need, <laughs> we need more Jeanette Taylors representing the south and west side of the city. She was spot on on many of the issues. However, what instantly made me a fan for life that may be too hasty was her statement regarding taxes and TIF. Uh, paraphrasing here, he says, low income money pays taxes too. For too long, people, feel do, uh, people don't feel empowered because they feel like they have to be, quote, property owners, business owners, or simply rich folks who live on the, quote, Gold Coast. Most of the older uh, women and men in the city don't empower their constituents, especially do nothing older women. Okay. And he throws one <laughs> under the bus here. The likes of Emma Mitz. Anyways, uh, Dr. D, Benny J, great show and more JT, please. All right. I'll, I, I'm with you hundred percent. I love having uh, Jeanette Taylor on. So we'll bring her back uh, maybe once a month or so, uh, get her thoughts. And uh, she lets it f fly. And the point she was making about property taxes is that whether you realize it or not, this is one of my favorite points. Everybody pays property taxes. And so renters pay property taxes too. They just don't realize it because the property taxes are passed on to them in the form of higher rents by their landlords, who are the ones who officially pay the property taxes. So I've, I've been having so many, um, I've done so many seminars over the years, talked to so many groups about the t tax increment financing program. Uh, and I always notice when I'm talking to a group of renters, there's just sort of a, in general, uh, a lack of understanding of, about how property taxes work because they don't directly pay the property tax bill. Uh, so it's like it doesn't exist in their eye. What are you talking about? I don't even know what a property tax bill is. Oh, yeah, well, you're paying for it. And so Jeanette Taylor was making a very similar point as well. 
All right. On to the news in the city of Chicago. And, you know, let's keep the Illinois corruption flowing. We got a real greasy Friday ahead here. (laughs) We have an update on our indicted and still got elected 14th Ward Alderman Ed Burke. Oh, no. Yeah, I told you. The grease trap's overflowing here. Uh, The the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Steve Garrison. Once again, Ben, I'll set up the alley-oop. And you just j- jamming on home, dog. How about that, huh? All right. All right. It reads here, two sitting Cook County Circuit judges and three retired judges are partners in a company with attorneys included indicted Alderman Edward Burger King Burke of the 14th Ward. <laughs> Participants in the company called Table of Wisdom. LLC say it's an investment club formed by a group of longtime friends who regularly met for breakfast and decided to pool their money so they'd have something to talk about. Ben, take it from here. Well, did, did I was did I turn the story over to you? Yeah, I think I actually discovered this is one of the few times where I found a story on the internet. I am. Ugh, how did that happen? I don't think it was in my boy to go. One. Uh, yeah, man. Wow. Really just getting so tech savvy as life goes on. This story was outrageous on so many levels. Of course, uh, Ed Burke, one of the most powerful politicians in the city of Chicago, past tense, uh, finance committee chair of the city of Chicago. If you're up from out of town, folks, this is some 101 of Chicago history. Uh, Ed Burke, and uh, he ran the finance committee. So every single significant piece of legislation, every single budget, every single TIF deal came through his committee for approval. So uh, he was the gatekeeper on all this legislation for years and years. The uh, mayors of Chicago, Mayors Daly and Mayor Rahm, allowed him to be Ed Burke, the finance chair. At the same time he was finance chair, he was running his own property tax appeal business, a law firm where wealthy property owners, generally in the downtown area, but not necessarily the downtown area, would come to him and then he would take their cases to the Cook County assessor to get their property taxes reduced. Uh, So somehow or other, the man whose chief day job as alderman was to look out for the taxpayers of Chicago by overseeing in a fair way how their property tax dollars are spent and how much uh, the city will gather in their property taxes was also acting as an agent on behalf of wealthy property owners to get their taxes reduced. How this is not a conflict of interest, I will never know. In, In Chicago, that's business as usual. Now, here's the thing. This is why I, a point I always like to make. He couldn't have gotten away with it if the Republican elite in this state were not taking advantage of him. And they were. He worked for them as much as he worked for everyone else. Just like Michael Joseph Madigan. House Speaker, he had his own property tax business. And one of the clients that Ed Burke represented was none other than Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who's Trump Tower, downtown Chicago. That Trump Tower exists because the sign on it, I should say, exists because Rahm Emanuel, another Democrat, gave him the green light to put it up there. And Trump paid less in taxes year after year because Ed Burke, another Democrat, went to Joe Barrios, another Democrat, to get an appeal. 
So when I hear Republicans denounce the Democratic machine in Chicago, I say you're a bunch of freaking hypocrites because you were taking advantage of that Democratic machine for all these years. So to pay less in taxes, including you, Donald John Trump. All right. So here's Ed Burke. Everybody knows. Everybody knows how sleazy this situation is, how rich it is with uh, conflict of interest. And they look the other way. Also, in his role as Democratic Party chieftain, he was one of the key people in slate making to determine who gets the party's endorsement for judge. So all these judges in Cook County, to one degree or another, owe their position on the bench to Burke. And so the, this is the part that really got to me. A couple of the people in this investment club that would meet, but I don't know how often they met, let's say occasionally, I mean, once a month, I can't remember, would meet at some restaurant to discuss how they were going to uh, make their investments, were judges. And I'm like, why did you guys think it's okay to sit down and break bread with Ed Burke and be in this investment club with Ed Burke knowing that he's rife with all this conflict, knowing that the chairman of the finance committee that oversees every single TIF deal in the city is also the property tax attorney for so many important and powerful business interests downtown, including Donald Trump. It's just such a conflict. And this is just a problem with Chicago politics. It's like the stuff that's legal and accepted is as bad as the stuff that's illegal in many ways. And it's wasteful and is unfair. And so it's all kind of connected to like somehow or other, we have this social equity uh, license process to make sure that people who've been hammered the hardest by the war on drugs is being controlled or being is rewarding wealthy white people who never suffered any consequences for the war on drugs. And this is why it's so difficult for Democrats to make a stand in our country today, because it's on the it's like we want to stand up for what's right. We want to denounce Donald Trump. Some of us do. Many of us do. And yet on the local level, there's just. Just this corruption and conflict of interest and log rolling. So it really undercuts the message we want to make at a national level. So, D, this really irritated me. How these judges thought it was cool to sit down with Ed Burke with all the conflict, with all the controversy. And I'm not even getting into his role in council wars in the 80s when he was the leader of the rebellion of white aldermen. It was Trump before Trump going up against Harold Washington. So, D, sometimes I'm like, I read this stuff, I'm like, judges, why do you think this was cool? I don't, listen, D, I got a lot of friends not all of my friends have lived perfect lives, but but none of them, okay, have like had the power or prominence of a guy like Ed Burke. So I know you have friends, and some of your friends, you know, they cut a few corners or whatever. I think the answer is it's Illinois. Everybody's doing it. So come on, let's go. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty shameful. Anyway, that's the story in the Sun Times. These judges sitting down with that. Well, we don't see anything. And I think it was you, D. I can't remember. It was uh, pointed out that uh, after Ed Burke 
the stories first started breaking about uh, Ed Burke's uh, latest controversy. Uh, I think it was the story about Danny Solis who was wearing the wire. I think that story broke, but before the indictments came down, he had a fundraiser. Yeah. And just dozens of <laughs> people showed up. They're like, really? I, I don't, you know, he made it. If he gets indicted, I'll stay away from him. But he hasn't been indicted yet, so he's still powerful. So I don't want to be like that hippie guy <laughs> from the reader. You know, he wouldn't want to be a loser like that guy in his attic. So hey, I'll go and stop being so hard yeah. on yourself. I'll go curry up to Ed Burke. That's Chicago, man. You know, and you know, before you Republicans get a whole high and mighty. Your boy, Donnie Trump, was one of Ed Burke's clients. Ed Burke made some money for Donald Trump. So the Republicans, they're all in the mix, too, D. They're all there in the muck and the mire. They're going to wallow in the mire for 10 trivia points. Uh (laughs) That's always been on my mind. I think I did this yesterday. I'm going to wallow in the mire. It's been on my mind. You know, I I keep saying that lyric over and over again. Wallow in the mire. You know, of course, what that's from, right, D? Uh, Wizard of Oz. Well, at least you didn't say Ice Cube. Uh, <laughs> light My Fire, Jim Morrison. Oh, okay. All right. The time for hesitations through. No time to wallow in the mire. Oh, Try now, we can only lose, and our love becomes a funeral fire. Come on, baby, love my fire. You don't want me to Sorry. start smoking pot again, do you? Knock it off. All right. Um, How many months has it been? Three months? Yeah, three. Had a little Looking had a little moment there, you know. But yeah, three months. Uh whoa, I didn't hear about that moment. Okay, let's uh, uh, <laughs> let's move on. All right. So what will happen with Ed Burke? I guess only time will tell. Wait, what's that? Oh, Ben, our uh, our hardworking production assistant, Vilma, sent me uh, some audio to play. Uh, Vilma. <laughs> <laughs> Velma! What show is that from? It's the Flintstones. Very good. Only it's Wilma. Let's change your name of Wilma. I like Wilma. Okay, it's a person. Wilma. Oh, you can just change their name. We don't have that much power over them. Sorry, Velma. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Oh, wait. I really shattered the fourth wall. Now listeners are awake. Wait a minute. There really is no Velma? Huh? <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, Vilma sent me something else to uh, play for you. Come on, man. Come on, man. What are you doing? Good one, Vilma. Wait, tell Vilma to send the other one from Biden that I like. Oh, uh, she she can't find that one. But uh, she knows you can't stand Rom. She loves Mayor Rom. She loves a mayor that can ride a bike. Nearly a thousand miles. Oh. Uh, <laughs> where'd, where'd you go? On the bike ride, Rom? I just you go? biked around Lake Michigan. Okay, I bet you talked to everybody about health insurance. <laughs> what a mayor. Like, oh, D, can I take a moment to promote my latest uh, column in the Chicago Reader? It's your show, bro. It's your show. Uh, speaking of Ram, I, oh, you know what? I'm going to talk about this with Roman Dulu. Oh, tease. what a tease you are. My goodness. That was one hell of a tease. This was Roman and his saying. Oh, yeah, stick goodness. around, everybody. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Sun-Times editor Romana Hussein. Uh, the Vilma bit's over, guys. Don't worry. We'll be right back after <laughs> Mike Girardi. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, and we are live from my apartment in Ben's attic.
two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, September 11th is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Every Friday, Ramana Hussein, editor columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, joins us. And uh, every Friday, we have a blast talking the issues of the day. Welcome back, Ramana. Hi, how are you guys? Doing well. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, I've been dutifully sending uh, Ramana her homework assignment. Uh, so I sent her articles about the Trump E. Jean Carroll lawsuit. We'll talk about that. Uh, we've been, uh, I, well, I think she already read it. Uh, Lynn Sweet's column in today's Sun-Times about uh, Bob Woodward's book and the ethics of what Bob Woodward did. Um, we'll talk about that. Uh, 9-11. Today is the anniversary of 9-11, Paul Krugman's tweet. Actually, Romano was the one who dug this one up. We'll talk about that. Football season opens. Uh, I got this thing about Hank Williams Jr. I'm going to share that with Romano. And uh, I guess um, I have to address the issue. I'm going to start with this last one first. Uh, as folks who listen to this, uh, my interviews with Romano know, she has been accusing me for months and months of, quote, hating Hating, she says. She says, I hate Rahm Emanuel. And I always say, I don't hate him. Now we have this debate. Yes, you do, Ben. No, you. No, I don't. Well, I proved it, Ramana. I put it in a column. And to quote you to you, uh, 
If it's in writing, it must be true where I, I gave Rom credit for something. So are you going to retract your accusation that I quote unquote hate Rahm Emanuel? Yeah, as I said to you after reading the article and you giving me the shout out, I guess if it's in print, it must be true. So, <laughs> so you don't hate him for now, but that might change next week. Well, uh, anyway, I urge everybody. I'm really proud of this column. Uh, yeah, but, and it, has, um, it, it has to do with Rahm Emanuel, but more about him getting credit and daily getting credit yes. for all the improvements made in the Chicago Public Schools. Lori Lightfoot giving them a shout out herself and Ben kind of dissecting that and why that's not true. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and in the end, it gets in the issue of um, the declining, uh, uh, the, excuse me, the rising graduation rate. Uh, Lori Life had held a press conference last week to, uh, we talked about this in the show uh, briefly, I don't think, not with you, Romana, but to um, congratulate herself uh, because the graduation rate's rising. And I was just pointing out that part of the reason the, the graduation rate is rising, if not main reason uh, is that Mayor Rahm, and this is where I gave him credit, did away with social promotion. And social promotion is where, uh, excuse me, brought back social promotion. Social promotion, which is where you just graduate somebody, whether they've mastered the skills uh, that they should uh, have mastered in order to move on, just to get them to move on. And I am a believer in social promotion, Romana, because I benefited from it uh, at Evanston High School. I think I'd still be in high school struggling with chemistry uh, if my junior year chemistry teacher said, you know what, just move on. I don't even want to look at you anymore. Uh, and so, you know, I struggled in high school. I uh, don't conceal that. And uh, so I believe that uh, we should be a little uh, easier in terms of social promotion and mayor Daly was came hard against social promotion he said he was going to uh, wage war on it this is in the late 90s and he was flunking kids left and right and guess what dropout rates went up because you hold kids back you flunk them you turn them against school they feel just like it's not worth it they drop they lead in drop out so ron made it harder to flunk a kid and guess what graduations rose so i gave him credit for it what's your position on social promotion I don't know. It's kind of a confusing subject. I I did uh, cover Paul. I covered education, actually, as a reporter when I was starting off at City News. I covered City Hall and education. So I did I did cover a lot of um, Paul Vallis and him. And I do remember all the um, you know speeches he gave about social promotion and how it was uh you know, not really helping, but I don't know. I think you bring up a good point. And, you know, he kind of hammered that in because a lot of the kids weren't reading at the level they were supposed to. But what if, what if there's a student who's not reading at the level they're supposed to, do you think they should just be graduated? Like at a certain age? I mean, that gets the heart of it. So I I guess you're saying that uh, reading is, is more important than my struggles with uh, chemistry. Uh, And I uh, I understand like holding a kid back, maybe one year, but yeah, like at one point, do you hold them back? Do you hold, if someone's not making progress, do you keep holding them back? I don't know. I think, well, I, a, I think it's a difficult subject. Well, put it to you this way, the way the city handled it back then, I completely disagree with how they handled it. So for instance, if a student is really struggling with uh, reading and your attitude is that, um, the system should do everything it can to make sure that that student, that one student, uh, overcome his or her uh, challenges with reading. Then you should bombard that kid with 
tutors or extra classes that he or she could go to. But what they did was they forced kids, uh, and, and there were some kids who weren't even necessarily struggling with reading, just scored bad, quote unquote, on a test yeah, that wasn't even supposed true. to be passed, fail. And they made them go to a summer school and in schools where they didn't even have air conditioning. These kids are baking in the heat. I, I remember going, writing stories about it, Romana, seeing classrooms of kids, teachers like half asleep, drenched in sweat. You know what those old schoolhouses are like those old brick schoolhouses with no uh, air coming in at all and I'm like what are you, are you are you helping the kids or are you torturing the kids what are we doing here yeah no I, I understand what you're saying I, I think I think um, you know a lot of I think what a lot of the criticism has been in the last few years is that a lot of these students were basically taught just to pass that test because everything hinged on those tests that you know state money and all this stuff and so if kids didn't do well on them they were held back and i'm sure there's a lot of like you said there's just it it doesn't necessarily benefit the kids in the end but i don't know education is like a very difficult subject and it's a very sensitive subject um i i I don't know there's no easy answers but i think you make a good point though about why social promotion doesn't really work i'm my school didn't have air conditioning either my grade school nor nor my high school i don't think my grade school did but i know my high school didn't because our sister school did and that's why we had summer school at the other school um so yeah uh if you're putting kids in a classroom where you know it's not environmentally like it's just uncomfortable how are they going to learn I think it's just, I think every kid, and also I think every kid learns differently too. I personally was a good student overall, but I didn't do very well on standardized tests because I was just so bored with them. Is that, I didn't, if I didn't, I was not aware of that, that you didn't do well with standardized tests. <laughs> I don't think I did. Not as much. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I had a high school that was pretty ta- challenging. So I, I always was an above average student, but I don't know. I don't think I did. I'm not saying I did terrible on standardized tests, but I just didn't do as well as I thought I could. I had a, I had a really easy time in college and grad school. I should tell you that. Cause I think my high school really prepared me for that. Let's give a shout out. Miles West. <laughs> the, the, they're, they're not, what are they? The, the Indians, but we, did they change the, Indians, the name? We're the wolves. The Okay. The Niles West wolves. They prepared yeah. uh, Romana. Well, uh, yeah, no, I, um, didn't do well uh, on tests and didn't really do well in school. So let's just not talk about my academic career. Let's just move on. The less said about my academic career, the better. All right. <clears throat> Speaking of challenging issues, let's talk about Bob Woodward. And, uh, let's first of all, give a shout out to Lynn sweet. You're, uh, a friend and colleague at the Chicago Sun-Times. I know you told me you didn't edit it, but I thought this was a really uh, good column. I urge people to read it. Uh, Trump's Risky Strategy, Granting Woodward Interviews for New Books. So before we get into the uh, ethics of uh, Bob Woodward and how he handled the interviews, talk about for the moment whether you think it was a good idea for Donald Trump to uh, give so much access to Bob Woodward. I mean, he thinks, I think he just wants to be um, have a book about himself. And then, I, you know, the Lynn Sweet column just kind of had the back and forth with him and Woodward about about the book. And, you know, uh, Donald Trump talked a little bit about George Bush and said, hey, you didn't really you sat down with him and it didn't the book didn't really turn out great. And then there was just kind of like it's kind of like him having this discussion about Woodward, about how he's going to he told Woodward that he's going to screw. He knows he's going to screw him over anyway, but he's going to give him an interview. I don't know. I don't I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of things Donald Trump says and it just kind of he just keeps going. They call him Teflon Don for no reason. Right. I mean, anybody who criticizes him 
has criticized him from day one from whenever he said anything that was not truthful. Now, if he, you know, what he said in this um, book about the coronavirus, it's definitely, definitely something that you have to take note of. But I, but I think the people that, um, you know, people who are his followers, they don't really care. So is it really helpful for Donald Trump? Um, I won't think it is, but he he just wants he he sees every opportunity as as a chance to brag about himself i guess and this is what it seems like but i'm sure there's going to be i i haven't read the book but there's probably going to be a lot of eye opening you know details and it already has been but there's like 18 interviews all together so do i think it was a good idea for him to sit down knowing who donald trump is probably not but i don't think he looks it that way it, he's he's going to spin it however he wants to in the end. Yes. Yeah, well, some of these quotes that uh, Lynn Sweet has are delightful. Uh, and it shows this this habit that Trump has where um, he he almost like he has a qualifier. When Donald Trump says something, almost instantly qualifies it. It's 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 just a habit he has. I'll give you an example. Uh he says, uh, he's Hugo, Trump mentioned the books Woodward wrote on former President uh, George W. Bush. And here's yeah. an example, quote, he spent all that time with you. This is Trump talking. And you made him look uh, like a fool. OK, <laughs> in my said, opinion, I'm not Bush or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, no, that that's a silent quote. Uh, oh. uh, and then he goes, OK, I hope you treat me better than Bush because you made him look like a stupid moron. Which he was. He was like, you made him look like a stupid. And then just comes a qualifier, which he was, by the way. He is a stupid moron. Uh, you're probably going to screw me. You know that's yeah. the way it goes. Look, Bush sat with you for hours and hours and you screwed him. But the difference was, I ain't no Bush. I guess that's the part. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, I think you know, Donald Trump sees this because he thinks he's the greatest president that ever lived, right? And um, Bob Woodward has this reputation and he sat down with all these presidents in the past. So he thinks he thinks he's of that stature of the past president. So I think that's what it is, too, like this um, status thing for him to sit down with Woodward, Bob Woodward, and give an interview. And, you know, I think Bob Woodward that, had a yeah. previous book, didn't he? And he didn't come out that great. So um, he he figured that he would come out and speak to him, to, you know, in, in his defense, I guess. Can I just give a shout out to Bob Woodward for a moment on this point? You just mentioned that. This is Bob Woodward's second book about the Trump administration. The Trump administration has is three and a half years old. Bob Woodward has somehow or other found the time to write not one, but two books about the Trump administration. You're right. So in that first book, uh, Donald Trump did not participate. And he, he, Donald Trump, thought he came out poorly. So he figured, I guess this is what you're saying, the ego with yeah. his just winning personality, if he turns, uh, if he uh, plays along with Woodward and uh, makes himself available to be interviewed, just his charm uh, and his wittiness will win Woodward over and it'll be more favorable to Donald Trump. I think that's what you were getting at, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not sure it worked out as the way Donald <laughs> Trump. I don't uh, think it did either. All right, so now we're, you're going to play the role you always do in the show as our journalist uh, ethicist. And yeah. uh, the issue is this. Uh, Donald Trump, one of the things he said to Bob Woodward, as you just alluded to, we talked about this already, 
is that he understood how serious the coronavirus was and how potentially dangerous it was, uh, but uh, and that it was worse than the flu. Uh, a couple of days after he said that in private to Bob Woodward, he gave a, uh, a press conference where he said it's just like the flu it'll disappear no problem let's go on with our life in other words he had one attitude in private and another attitude in public uh and uh the cavalier that he attitude he expressed in public has led to this notion uh, that's so prevalent uh, ramana among uh, maga hat wearers that there's nothing to worry about with uh, the virus so uh, there's a debate should Bob Woodward have uh, released that tape a long time ago so that the world knew that Donald Trump uh, was uh, didn't believe what he was saying in public? What's your opinion on that? Um, I personally think as a journalist, I would have put it out right away. Um, I think the criticism is that he, Bob Woodward, you know, to promote his book, it's like, okay, this will get more traction if I hold off and you know, I don't know if that was the thinking, but that's what a lot of people are, you know, concluding that if, you know, he wants to put these like, you know, really hot quotes out there to sell his book. I personally, I I, th- I do agree with the criticism where people are saying that, you know, there's I think there's 190,000 people that have died from the coronavirus um, since March. And, you know, Donald Trump in these interviews, I think one of the earlier interviews was in February. I don't know if he called it a deadly virus then, but there was a follow up interview, I think, where in March where he said, quote, I, I wanted to always play it down, unquote. So the fact that he said that, I mean, maybe that would stop some of his supporters from thinking, not taking this that seriously and would have stopped these deaths. You know, we've heard of people who are Trump supporters and, you know, had coronavirus parties and ended up dying. Um one of, uh, God, who was it? Um, you know, the Trump rally that happened. Or the Herman Cain. Yeah, Herman Cain, you know, was seen pictured without a mask at this, uh, you know, Trump rally, I think was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken. And then he ends up dying. You know, he had, you know, he had can't, he was a cancer survivor. So you do wonder if these quotes are put out. I don't know. As a journalist, I would think that I would put those quotes out pretty quick just because you know this is what's going on and if he's telling you know you know at a sitting at a press conference saying one thing and in private and another i don't know i would think that that would be a story and i think um bob woodward did say that there was no such agreement that he promised donald trump that he would hold on to these quotes but i have also seen people say that you know donald trump probably knew that these quotes we're not going to come out until much later. So maybe he felt safe saying it. So I don't know if there was any sort of assurance or a kind of understanding, even though Bob Woodward said there wasn't. I don't know. I think it's a, it, it's a good debate. I, I think it's a good debate to have. But I personally think that I would put put it out as a journalist. Well, uh, Lori Lightfoot agrees with you. Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, was chiding Bob Woodford for not releasing them. On the other hand, uh, Eric Zorn, good friend of the show and a big fan of yours, wrote a column today. I urge everybody to read where he said, in his humble opinion, uh, Bob Woodward uh, did the right thing. And at the very least, as Eric points out, uh, he's releasing them before the November election uh, so that we, um, you know, we could use that to judge whether Donald Trump has been a good steward uh, of 
the public interest. So I think Eric uh, raised a good point, but I'll tell oh, you what. We did. I yeah. did. I think it's a good, it's a good debate that people are having. I would think that, I don't know. I just think that I'm not saying that, you know, if Bob Woodward said that it would save lives because then Donald Trump could say something else. And then people who listen to him would, you know, would still listen to him. So I don't know. I don't know if it would save lives, but a lot of people said, even if it could save one life, well, what's your opinion? Oh, I'm all over the map on this one. Uh, I mean, there's the like the Dudley do right in me, you know, the good government guy that goes, of course, you should release that tape. Everybody should have known immediately. And then there's the working writer in me. Are you kidding? If he releases that tape, then Donald Trump will stop the interviews and he won't have the material he needs to write his book. Hell no, don't release the tape. So you need to kind of like split on it. Uh, Yeah. I don't the, the, like that Dudley do right impulse I have is so bogus. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. But yeah, I got to tell you, it just it just put a light on how how dangerous uh, Donald Trump's behavior in terms of the coronavirus has been, because there's a whole movie. You know this, uh, Romano, we talk about this all the time. There's just a whole movement in the Republican Party now to discredit wearing masks to denounce um the the uh, caution that people like jb pritzker and lori lightfoot have uh, to try to protect people about coronavirus say it's overplayed it's just uh it's consumed the republican party and uh i do believe that's very dangerous and people will die because of that and this pandemic will last a lot longer uh because of that and donald trump it's he could have prevented that by very early on standing up and saying this is serious folks you got to wear your masks we can do all this together but that's just not donald trump that's not who he is well that's the thing if you have the leader of the country saying that of course it emboldens people just like anything else that he says it just emboldens a certain group of people he does have a responsibility but you know he thinks it's okay to say one thing privately and something else publicly and you know People just listen to whatever he says, you know, to the mass media. And, you know, he says fake news and people don't want to believe it. Yeah. Uh, and that's where we are right now. All right. Let's move on to 9-11. Today is uh, September 11th. And uh, good God, it's been 19 years. I know. Uh, 19 years. Um you brought out something that was very interesting. And why don't you take the lead on this one? Uh, Paul Krugman or Krugman, uh, the uh, columnist for the New York Times, uh, also has a Twitter feed. And he set off quite a bit of uh, Twitter response with uh, one of the tweets he put out today. Why don't you take it from there, Romano? Yeah, he had a tweet thread today on the anniversary of 9-11. And uh, he was actually trending on Twitter a few minutes ago. But his uh, Twitter feeds, uh, his Twitter thread started off by saying, overall, Americans took 9-11 pretty calmly. Notably, there wasn't a mass outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment and violence, which could have all too easily happened. And then there was maybe one or two sentences after that. So I think that kind of prompted a lot of people, a lot of Muslims and a lot of people of color just to, you know, tell them, actually, that's not true. And then, you know, people are pointing out that the Patriot Act came out as a result of this. Um, We had a lot of our civil liberties stripped um, because of this. And a lot of people did think it was okay to uh, strip people of their civil liberties in in defense of protecting um, other Americans, um, I think. And then, you know, people pointed out that this did um, also increase the anti-immigration hysteria, even though a lot of Muslims are Americans. Uh, Muslims have been here for a long time. And, uh, you know, two wars as well. 
I think um, anybody that's Muslim, a lot of long, younger people. Uh, People who are younger than I was during 9-11 and happened to be Muslims said that they were called terrorists after 9-11 in school and teachers wouldn't say anything. Somebody said that they told their guidance counselor and uh, the guidance counselor said, yeah, good. That's how we all feel. Or now you know how it feels. And so a lot of people, there was a lot of adults didn't have sympathy with the Islamophobia. So and hate crimes against Muslims or people who are perceived to be Muslims, as we know, one of the first victims of um post 9-11 violence was a sick man, a Sikh man um, who was attacked because he was being mistaken for Muslims. And then, you know, a lot of people on social media that I follow, a lot of journalists and other people, they're saying, you know, they get followed around, you know, airport security has never been the same for them. And so they basically, everybody's kind of taking this guy to task. And a lot of people said that they really like what he writes about in general, and they might agree with some of the parts on his thread, but they didn't like that part. So he's kind of getting, he's kind of getting railed over for that. And a lot of people are taking his tweets and quote, you know, taking his, that first tweet and quote, you know, embedding their own like personal experiences since 9-11. One person said that their mosque had burned down. So it's interesting time. You know, obviously it's a sad um, anniversary for us. If you want to call it an anniversary, you know, there's a lot of people that lost their lives in the Twin Towers and the other, um, the Pentagon and the, um, God, the other plane that crashed in, in the country. Those are, those, those lives were lost and we should definitely remember them. We should remember the first responders. But I think what a lot of people are also saying is we shouldn't forget that all the lives, there were lives lost as a result of the dehumanization of Muslims and other people of color after 9-11. I know we're going to talk a little bit about football afterwards and uh, we're going to talk about Hank Williams Jr. And, you know, he's the one that called, um, he called Obama uh, a Muslim, which is, you know, for a lot of people, a slur. Now, if there was no dehumanization of Muslims after 9-11 or just in general in the United States, if Obama was a Muslim, it wouldn't be considered a slur. So I don't know. It's it, it, it's It was definitely an interesting time. And I think, I think it, did bring a lot of ugliness after there was definitely a lot of people coming together after 9-11 you did see that but there was a lot of ugliness too and to pretend that that didn't happen is kind of sad and you know one of the things that makes me laugh kind of makes all my family laugh is that my mom who's not really someone that would be waving around an American flag. Uh, she went and bought this flag that was probably bigger than her and just like put it in front on her front yard. And I remember us asking her like, like did you put that up because <laughs> we said, we said, did you put that up because you're like scared or because you're like really patriotic? And she's just like, I just bought it. I just want people to think that, you know, I want people to know that, you know, not, you know, I think it was kind of a, you know, a symbol. She was scared. She didn't want to say that she was scared, but it was clear that she was. And that was the main reason she bought it, because she didn't want people to think that we weren't American. And, you know, it is. I think post 9-11, I mean, a lot of people have questioned my Americanism. Whenever I write about anything related to me being Muslim or Islam, I get a lot of hate mail and a lot of Islamic phobic comments. When I defend Muslims or point out some things about Muslim on Twitter, I always lose a lot of followers too, like a couple of followers. I shouldn't say a lot. It's not like I have tons of followers in the first place. So yeah, anybody who is Muslim or has been mistaken for Muslims will say that um, Mr. Krugman or Krugman or however you pronounce it, got it wrong on that first part of this thread. Yeah, and I, I just want to point out that uh, this, this is really... Uh, off the beaten path with the limitations of Twitter because he wrote, I I went after you alerted me, I went and read it. 
Uh, and he wrote several tweets related to the same topic. And she should have just written a column about it because I, I agreed with like four of the other tweets uh, that he talked about. He talked about how the, the, the phony uh, unity that emerged afterwards and how the Republicans tried to use it uh, to get a capital, a, t- a cut in the capital tax, uh, which <laughs> that's pretty cynical. Uh, yeah pretty rawly cynical uh and then he talked about how two wars were launched uh, uh as a result of the 9-11 attack again uh, george bush and uh, uh, dick cheney manipulating public opinion to launch two wars and he did talk about the patriot act but he did those in tweets after he wrote that one tweet where he said overall it wasn't uh that the, the response wasn't that harsh. And I'm like, so all these people are fixated on that one tweet. You get what I'm saying? I'm like, man, Twitter is just a weird it freaking is, animal. Is. But I think a lot of people just look at that and think that he's out of touch. Like, it's like, you know, maybe all his other tweets made sense. But the fact that he started off, that's kind of like just starting off a tweet saying, hey, there's no racism in America. And then, you know, that just got everybody uh, yeah. going. And then you have all these other tweets that are, you know, that makes sense and you know you can comprehend them but i think people felt like that's how you're going to open your twitter thread and you know maybe he i don't know i haven't heard a response yet back from him but he's going to ask yes he's definitely being criticized on twitter today uh anyway yeah i um i was going to ask has he responded and apparently has uh not responded uh all right let's move on and you mentioned football let's talk about football the season opened last night <laughs> If anybody knows football, it's me. Um, uh, Ramon Hussein's going to give some of her picks for the weekend uh, at the end of the show. Uh, the Bears to Lions game. She's going to give you the uh, over under and the. So you're no. actually you're actually wrong. You said it was the Tennessee Titans that came off the or didn't get off the field. It's actually the Houston Texans. My bad. Field yesterday. Um, so yeah, I got my T's mixed up. Go yeah, ahead. It was your different southern state. Um, I, they used to be the Houston Oilers before, right? Or that was the team. Ramon, they got, maybe, maybe they went to Canada I, or something. Ramona, can I just say something? Your knowledge of football is just astounding. And the things that you reveal every day. <laughs> Ramona Hussein, she'll be uh, appearing with the Sun-Times. What do they call it? Hallis Hall Confidential. She'll oh, be joining that podcast. Uh, to opine on Mitch Trubisky. Was that a good draft choice? Uh, yeah, I did. I said the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Titans uh, that was the pre-show hearing. I didn't technically get it wrong on the air. No, you didn't. But it, uh, so the Houston Tex, it was the Houston Te- Texans against the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now in the NFL, they're going to play the Star Spangled Banner. And then right after that, they're going to play the Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is known, you know, unofficially known as the Black National Anthem. So I guess the um, Houston Texans were practicing on the field. But as soon as the Star Spangled Banner came on, they had gotten off the field in the form of um, it's it's sort of a it's a protest into, you know, what is happening with, you know, America in the treatment of African-Americans. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of football players are African-American. The Kansas City Chiefs, I think, meanwhile, some of them, they all stood on the field, but linked arms. And some of them did take knee, take a knee. And I think um, it's, it's, which uh, there's a, is it, which California team is going to be, I forgot which team, sorry, now I'm losing my uh, football 
knowledge. But there is one, I think it's a Dolphins. Who the Miami, are, that's Florida, the Miami yeah. Dolphins. Yeah, the Miami Dolphins are have already said that they're not going to uh, go on the field. They made a little video about it, which I did see. And it was uh, pretty interesting that they said that they're, they already told people that we're not taking the field. And they said, why? when the Star Spangled Banner is going to come on. So it's definitely a change from what we've seen um, from the days when Colin Kaepernick took a knee and all the criticism. There were, definitely, there were people booing the Houston Texans yesterday, correct? Yes, that's what I read. Scattered boos, they said. Yeah, scattered boos. For not booze. standing up um, for, this, uh, for not coming out during the Star Spangled Banner. But I think that is pretty interesting given football, um, the NFL's audience, and uh, the culture around uh, the NFL, which I do know a little about. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about Hank Williams Jr. Um, well, this about, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is I think it's an interesting time. Have you I mean, I was watching the video that the Dolphins made and, you know, it wasn't just the African-American players or some of the white players too, talking about the injustices and why they're choosing not to do this. So I think I think it's definitely it's 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 something that we have to take note, and I think it's in, in, it's an interesting time, and I think it's good that I, I think it's a good thing in general that people are, you know, these athletes are saying enough. Well, I've got many obsessions at play here, uh, and there's so much uh, that I want to. Uh, so many paths I want to follow, mm-hmm. but I think there's this assumption. And this gets back to Krugman's quote uh, tweet with the part of it that I actually agreed with. So this notion, there's like this manufactured notion that there's unity when there's really not unity. So at a football game, uh, everybody stands traditionally uh, for the national anthem and jets fly over the stadium. And it's a, it's really a nationalistic uh display it's what it is yeah uh, it's it's pretty cynical because it's also a commercial the nfl is getting paid by the taxpayers i mean we're the ones who fund uh the military because the military is using that as a recruitment tool as well uh and so what colin kaepernick did when he took the knee was to say was to sort of expose it for what it was which is a manufactured moment of unity that not everybody agrees with uh, and we're seeing the fallout, but part of that manufactured, and this part's really gnawing at me, Ramana. I, I can't tell. I just can't shake it. Is that Monday Night Football? One of their ways of sending a message to fans to show that just because many of the players are black does not mean the game is not for you as well. They put Hank Williams up to sing that song. Let's get ready for some football. And I I didn't know much about Hank Williams, right? So I just did some research on him and I discovered, as you said, you knew about this, the, his quote about Obama uh, being a Muslim, even though Obama is Christian. And so what if he were a Muslim, but exposing a lot of prejudice right there. And then he wrote a song called, uh, If the South Had Won the Civil War. And I, I read, when I heard that song, and I, again, this is out of ignorance. I hadn't heard it before, so it's showing my ignorance of Hank Williams Jr. It's a very popular song. But when I heard that song, I was offended. I mean, imagine if they did a song like, what if Germany had won? You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, that would be really offensive. You know, it's sort of like Hank Williams is a slavery denier. He's denying that slavery existed. What? And so I don't understand how... 
blind society. I mean, I do understand, but it's just a, it's an example of how blind society is to people who are invisible. You talk about this all the time. Like it's just a double standard. I mean, there's it's just because when you're a part of those marginalized groups, you realize that there's a different standards. If you criticize this, you're going to get, you know, we talked about cancel culture. I mean, people have been canceled, you know, canceled for years. You know, Malcolm X was canceled pretty much for most of his life. He only became cool like later, right after he died. Um, And so it just depends on who you're criticizing gets canceled. I mean, Hank Williams Jr., he he basically compared um, Obama to Hitler. I don't know that he made this analogy. I, I don't know. I figured Hank Williams Jr. had, I just saw him. My brother is a huge sports fan, so he'd be watching football sometimes if I walked by. And I saw Hank Williams Jr. and I was just like, oh, my God. And, you know, it's just it was just a very stereotypical thing for me, that song. It just sounded so cheesy, and I was just like, oh, my God. But, um, you know, this is what he said. This is the quote he said about Obama at some sort of fair he said, we got a Muslim president who hates farming, hates the military, hates the U.S., and we hate him. So it's just um, it's just this ideology, you know what I mean? And we're talking about, you know, people getting getting to say stuff. You know, him saying that, do people really even think that's a big deal? That's never, like, in the lead. But if somebody else, a person of color, said something about, I don't know, another group, that would probably be in the lead, I would think. Maybe not anymore for certain people. But it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And so now here we are. Well, I'm, I'm, ESPN decided not to bring Hank Williams Jr. back. Uh, like, it's, I guess, they, well, you know, we don't want to be political, but uh, having the guy sing who sings a song that said what the, the South should have won. Eh, I don't know if that's the right thing to do right now. Uh, that still gets to me. I, I, I do not understand how the people. It, the fact that I don't understand underscores everything you've been saying since you came on this show about uh, marginalized people in our country, uh, Ramana, and and the fact that they allowed him all those years that kind of access, and he was never held accountable for it, never required to talk about. Uh, Correct. It, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I have a lot of – my brother loves football. I don't know if he's going to be watching. Um, my husband likes football, but he's not going to be watching it this year. Um, but – It's just, I I just, like, I don't know, I've read some of the articles about the NFL and, you know, a lot of the players are African-Americans. And then, you know, I've seen people, you know, their fans are like sometimes telling them just to shut up and play. I know that that happens with a lot of athletes, you know, but when these, uh, you know, college football coaches or former college football stars like Herschel Walker, was he an NFL player too? When he, um, when they support Trump or say something like that, nobody tells them to be quiet and uh, just throw the ball. So it's just interesting about what yeah. people say and when people say that they should just shut up and play or dribble or throw the ball, whatever. Yeah. They just want them to shut up and dribble when the, the athlete says something that they disagree with. Exactly. And they say something they agree with. It's like, Oh, talk more and yeah. dribble less. Uh, all right, so you're not going to be watching football. Uh, that uh, leads us to Romana's recommendations. What will you be watching? I don't know. I still have to watch Pose. Um, I'm still watching Lovecraft Country, um, which I'm kind of have mixed feelings for right now. I think it's it, it has some creative sides to it, but then some, it just goes all over the place, and it's trying to say too many things at one time. But that's just my opinion. People seem to love it. So I don't know. I think I will try to watch Pose. Um 
or another show. I don't know. I have to uh, pick something soon. I haven't been keeping up with a lot of things. You know, my keeping up with the Kardashians was is canceled, though. I don't know if you saw that, saw that news this week. I'm just devastated. I, I, <laughs> I, I do watch that. It's a, it's a, I admit, I admit. But I, I stopped watching in the middle and it started again. And then, yeah, that, yeah. Was, a, that was a big announcement this week, Ben. I'm sure I, all your listeners I don't know if I can continue the fans. show. Uh, I will be watching tonight, and I urge you to, as well, uh, Game 7, the final game, the decisive game, uh, Boston Celtics versus Toronto Raptors. My beloved Bulls are not uh, in the playoffs, but this has been a very exciting series. And I know uh, I, I know you're not the biggest sports fan in the world, but this is a great game. It's been a great, really uh, exciting matchup. So I urge you uh, to check that one out, uh, the Boston Celtics versus Toronto Raptors. And then you'll do a breakdown and an analysis. And when you come back next Friday, uh, we'll have <laughs> yeah. Ramon Hussein breaks down the NBA. <laughs> So, uh, all right, Marana, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See you guys next week. Bye. All right. That's great. Romano saying, do you got any updates for us? Uh, I have three updates and cool. lucky you, you get to choose which one we do first. I have a local mm-hmm. update. Uh, as far as statewide news, I have a Chicago city news update and we have a voicemail. So host pick, which one do we uh, check out first? Are you there? Hello? (laughs) All right. I guess he didn't like any of his choices. Ben, are you there? Hello? Oh, now I have. You froze for a while. Ah. Some weird stuff going on with our system these days. Uh, So most of what you said got blotted out. A lot of weird stuff going on. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what to attribute it to. I don't know. Maybe I should pay my internet bill. Maybe they're... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it could be a problem. Uh, hold on. Vilma, could you take care of Dennis's internet bill? Thank you. Oh, sorry. We were supposed to drop the Vilma gag. My bad. Yeah, she's at my place. Remember? <laughs> I forgot. Oh, Come Lord. On. Poor Vilma. <laughs> All right. So I had a choice. Chicago, state, or federal, correct? No, no. You have a choice. Uh, Chicago news, uh, statewide news, or a voicemail. We got a voicemail uh, during uh, today's oh, show. I, I, that was the part that completely got obliterated. Um, well, let's go with the voicemail. Are you kidding? All right. He That's picked, breaking news he, in the Ben Jarofsky show. He's picking the voicemail. All right. Uh, we got a voice message from our good friend Doogie. It looks like it's a short message here. Uh, let's hear what Doogie had to say. Come on, Doogers. There we go. This is Doogie. And no, I'm not in a porta potty, but I do have a question. <laughs> How many people still have toilet paper that they bought in March from all the hoarding? Wow. Short and sweet. That is short and sweet. I could tell you one person who doesn't, me. Yeah, uh, same here. Uh, but uh, I know you're what you're saying, man. I remember that. Oh, my goodness. People be going out and you go over to the jewel, the, the, the no toilet paper on the shelf. Like, what's going on? Uh, that reminds me of um, when 9-11, or 9-11 memory, uh, Doogie, when uh, my kids were in school that day, and I went into that school, and uh, it was a surreal moment, but one of the first people I bumped into was a hysterical uh, parent who had come to school to take her kids home, and I remember her telling me, go buy water and buy toilet paper 
you have to uh, buy these supplies, these essential supplies, because the world as we know it is coming to an end. Uh, and you're going to need water. I remember water and toilet paper, which she, she was urging me to buy. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go do that right now. Just, can I just get away from you? Because you're really, really freaking me out, lady. So anyway, Doogie, uh, I'm with you 100%. People freaking out. Uh, let's buy more toilet paper. And it's good to know you're not in a porta potty. That was very informative as well. Thank you very much, Doogie. All right. So the voicemail's down. Now you want a city news story or a statewide news story next? Eh, let's go statewide. What the heck? All right. He's going statewide. And this is not good news. The following comes from the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard. The one, the only, Capital Facts' own Rich Miller. Oh, he's a bulldog. <laughs> Watch out. I love the bulldog thing. All right. This is a, this is a press release. Uh, this just came out here. The Illinois Department of Public Health today reported 30 counties, 30 counties in Illinois are considered to be at a warning level for novel coronavirus disease. A county enters warning level when two or more COVID-19 risk indicators that measure the amount of COVID-19 increase. I have the 30 counties right here. I will fastly read these counties. All right, here we go. Bond, Bureau, Cass, Clinton, Coles. No, not John Cass. Clinton, Coles, Crawford, DeKalb, DuPage, Effingham, Green, Grundy, Hancock, Henderson, Jackson, Jasper, Jersey, Lawrence, Madison, McLean, Monroe, Morgan, Pulaski, Shiler, Shelby, Stark, St. Clair, Tazewell, Vermilion, Washington, and Williamson. Those are the counties that are uh, right now uh, placed on the state warning list. Although the reasons for counties reaching a warning level varies, some of the common factors for an increase in cases and outbreaks are associated with college parties, weddings, large gatherings, bars and clubs, long-term care facilities, and other congregate settings, traveling, uh, traveling to neighboring states, and spread among members of the same household who are not isolating at home. Cases connected to schools are beginning to be reported as well. General transmission of the virus in the community is also increasing. No, Dennis, you've been saying it for so long. Mixed messages uh, coming out about the the virus and then uh, just people, the behavior of people is so bizarre. The story that broke in the New York Times, fascinating story about here, right here in in Illinois, to the point you're just making, D. University of Illinois employed this rigorous analysis to to, when they brought students back to make sure uh, that there would not be a spread of the virus. They did all these uh, projections about what amount of social distancing that had to occur uh, in order to guarantee that the virus would not spread. And uh, they thought they had it mastered. And what they didn't take into account is that students who tested positive would nonetheless go have parties or go to parties. And so students who tested positive went to parties and guess what? They spread the virus. And you know, Dennis, I'm like, wow. I mean, I want to blame that on Trump somehow or other, but (laughs) I don't even know if, you know, even I have to say, the level of, idiocy involved there you're positive okay why are you going to a party i love to party man can you just hold off for like two weeks yeah we had henry davis that interview we did on wednesday i urge everybody to check it out 
really powerful story about what it's like uh, to have COVID-19. He, uh, he had it for about, what did he say, about two weeks, D? He was really knocked out with yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, a good friend of our show, Henry Davis from South Bend. And it's like, you know, we talked about in the in the interview, I kept getting his name mixed up, but Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings, people think they're impervious to it. And they, they're not going to get it. And so you have these kids, oh, well, what do I care, man? Uh, it's Ooh, just, ew, it's, bro. It's just, Bro. <laughs> oh, God. So anyway, I'm not surprised with that bad news, D. Um, and uh, I think we're in agreement on this one. It's going to take, um, we're just going to have to have a, a vaccine against it. Because if it's, if you're linking it to human behavior, I just don't have a lot of confidence in my fellow man. Oh, God, that sounds horrible. Can we get us some good news to end the show in the week with? Well, we'll try. Uh, we uh, have uh, corruption one. in Chicago. <laughs> no, this one isn't about corruption in Chicago. This is a story you wanted to talk about, though, so we'll end it out with this oh. here. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Got to mention it. The Fran Spielman Show. Every week she has a brand new show for you to download at the Chicago Sun-Times website and wherever else you download podcasts. Ben, she had a, uh, a guest that we've had on uh, back in the radio days uh, on the show today. Who? Who was that? Ravinia's own Wells Kaufman. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wells Kaufman. Well, Wells... <laughs> How did, something happened with that interview. That, that's why we're laughing. What was it? Was oh, he like yeah, on a so plane much. or something? Well, there were two. Uh, well, it was always funny. Like uh, <laughs> Wells Kaufman for years was the director of Ravinia, and the old station, his name, I just can't remember, uh, had some kind of deal with. Uh, boy, these days are gone. You know, where you have deals. Uh, you know, you work for a station to get deals. So well, you, you know what? Deals. I think if we keep going, uh, some we won't see any deals for this show in the future. So let's just go ahead and uh, roll all with the right, story. How about see. that? How about oh that? My God, there are all these deals. And so the lady in charge of the deals is I will name. All right, I'm going to give you a t- I'm not, I'm not go on that. You know, this, the, the mistreatment of me. Where's Scott Duff? Okay. Everybody loves Scott Duff. I'm like, he's like Raymond. Everybody loves Scott Duff. He was the other host. He would get all these free tickets. I wouldn't oh get boy. anything. Oh and then boy. I'd like, we'd go to Ravinia together. So he would have his free tickets. I would have my bought tickets. And he would go, what can I tell you, man? Everybody likes me. <laughs> How much do those tickets cost? <laughs> Uh, we are digging up the past today, aren't we? <laughs> so anyway, Wells Coffin came on uh, the show, and he's telling me, you know, he's pretty smooth operator. Uh, I love your show. You're outstanding. Uh, yeah, I don't think you ever listened to the show one. Anyway, he was supposed to come on, and he didn't come on uh, after telling me how much he loved the show. And he, he put it like his assistant, Billy Bob, came on the show. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was his assistant. It was like Billy Bob. I love your show, too, Ben. Where's Wells? Ah, You know, I don't know. But, hey, listen, we got Billy Bob here. (laughs) So, anyway, yeah, I couldn't get the great Wells Kaufman interview. But I hear he's stepping down. He's moving on out, huh? He's leaving Ravinia. Is that right, Dean? And he's going to be talking about the future of Ravinia moving forward uh, with Fran Spielman as well. So I'm sure Scott Duffel. Okay, let's just stop now. We're not going to get Billy Bob or Wells back if we keep going. All right. (laughs) Ravinia, sponsor us. All right. We're a great. uh, We reach a lot of people. Over 600,000 downloads, man. Come on. Wait, what's that? what's, What's that in the sky, D? A million. That's what I see in the sky. We're coming oh, for you, a million. 
Come on, man. And then Coffin will be like, oh, but guys, can I get you tickets? Uh, do you know I got right, Scott digging up the past again? Let's just let's just keep going. The following, check out the Fran Spielman show, by the way, guys. She's got a little <laughs> big archive of shows. She's great. Okay, uh, the following comes from Fran Spielman and the Chicago Sun Times. Two months ago, the Ring doorbell camera attached to the Brighton Park home of one Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward captured video of two offenders brazenly walking up the front steps and throwing three, count them three, bricks through the Alderman window. Now, Lopez wants to use that same doorbell camera technology to provide what he calls, quote, thousands of new eyes for Chicago police officers waging a never-ending battle against gang violence. At Wednesday's city council meeting, Lopez introduced an order calling for CPD to enter into a memorandum of understanding with Ring, ADT, Vivint, and other doorbell security camera operators whose systems are compatible with cameras already linked to the city's 911 emergency. Uh, if a crime occurs on a Chicago block and it's not already captured by crime-fighting POD cameras, homeowners on that block would get a text message seeking their permission to use video from their doorbell cameras. If the answer is no, that's as far as it would go. If the answer is yes, police could have video evidence they need to catch the offenders. That all came from Ray Lopez. Ben Jarofsky, you said you wanted to talk about this one yeah i'm all over the map with this one like and like i am on many uh issues there's a uh civil liberties issue big brother watching us but i'm going to bring raylo on to talk about this because it's so interesting when we want a camera it seems it's not on you know what i'm saying Dee? so like so many instances of police encounters with uh citizens normal regular citizens the camera's not on uh, and Raylo, who is a law and order alderman, uh, heading toward Trump country sometime, just saying, Raylo, you're dangerously getting there. Uh, but big, now he wants cameras everywhere. So I don't know. There's the libertarian in me, D. It's like we have cameras everywhere anyway. Why do we need even more cameras? I just, it's just, I'm a little uncomfortable with this one day. I got to tell you, I'm a little uncomfortable with this one. But when I saw it, I go, you know what? I got to bring Raylo on back to the show uh, and uh, get him to open up a little bit. Does he really believe uh, this would be a deterrence uh, to crime? And um, crime's been, listen, crime has been rising in Chicago. It, it just ebbs and it, uh, it goes up, it goes down from one year to another. Uh, and all these get tough. Just want to remind folks of this. We closed on the show. Get tough on crime has been with us the whole ride. So I'm not quite sure. Just continuing to get tough on crime uh, is the way to go. But I'm definitely, this is the point I wanted to make. I want to bring Raylo on and have the discussion with him. Throw a little civil libertarian uh, response to him. See how he uh, handles with it. So that's that was the reason why I wanted you to bring that up. As a reminder to me to bring Raylo back to the show. Yeah, we got to get Raylo back on. Uh, you can download our previous interview with Alderman Ray Lopez. It's in the archive. Uh, over tons, tons of episodes. All right, you can go check out at both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. You know, Raylo, this guy. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. <laughs> I think you're 100 Oh boy! Okay. No, well, well, break it! Come on, come on, go break it! And we want to remind everybody to check out this week. What? 
I could have used a little camera on that one. Huh? There you go. You should put a little doorbell camera on that one. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> Isn't it, well, everything transparent, but somehow or other we can't see the Eddie Johnson report. Uh, just saying. Go ahead, Dean. We want to remind everybody to download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. All right. Uh, we got a great conversation coming up uh, about cannabis with our good friend, Vincent Norman. He's becoming a regular here on the program. We're always uh, glad to have Vincent Norman. He's going to be joining us. We're going to have that available on uh, Monday. Let's do that on Monday. How about that, Ben? I think that's a good idea, Richard Boom. Steele. Uh, and I want to promote an interview that we have coming up on Tuesday. I'm really proud of this interview. Uh, this stemmed from uh, Miles Conflassen when he was on the show on Tuesday. Uh, and this is the Air Force uh, veteran uh, who was very critical of Joe Biden. Uh, Michael Thurman is his name. He'll be here on uh, Tuesday. And he'll be talking about his showdown with Biden, where he accused Biden of being pro-war. And Donald Trump, Donnie Trump Jr., took that uh, video, put it on a tweet, tweet. And now Thurman's really mad at the Trump campaign because he wants to make it clear that whatever criticism he has of Joe Biden does not mean in any way that he's endorsing Donald Trump. So we're going to get into the whole issue of Donald Trump and the military and uh, Donald Trump, how uh, he tries to play it both ways and so how Democrats have been a little too supportive, to put it mildly, of uh, some of the wars over the last uh, 20 years. So that should be a really interesting interview. I'm looking forward to that. That's on Tuesday. Yeah, something to look forward to on Tuesday. Vincent Norman talking cannabis. Radio legend Richard Steele is going to be available tomorrow that'll hold you over also i think we've decided we're going to play the troy laravier interview we're going to have that available once again for download at both chicago sun times and chicago reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast youtubers and live streamers please encourage uh, your friends and go check that out as well and uh, thank you to all the downloaders over six hundred thousand downloads uh for the ben jarofsky show a million here we come and that's it ben we're ready to rock all right, very good. Romano saying thank you very much. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the bright and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. Yes, indeed. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'd love to win a Grammy. Like to Round Lake, Michigan. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I'd love to win a Grammy. Come on, man. I want an answer. I want an answer. I want an answer. 